welcome to Entrepreneurs in Action, the series where we hear from entrepreneurs from all over the world on how they bring success to their clients and build their own success in the process. I'm your host, Warwick Merry from warwickmerry.com. Now let's get straight to it and hear from our next Entrepreneur in Action. Welcome back to another episode of Entrepreneurs in Action. Today, we're going to be talking to someone about planning permits. If ever you wanted to do some uh, redevelopment, whether you're you know, looking at your own backyard or whether you're on the outer edge of a city or a small town and you want to turn your farm into hundreds of lots, dealing with council for planning permits can be painful. Our entrepreneur of the moment is the lovely Glenn Kell. Welcome, Glenn. Hello, Warwick. How are you? I am fabulous. I'm really looking forward to finding out more uh, about dealing with councils and and planning. So, so tell me a bit. Uh, tell me a bit about your background. I mean, like, what makes you the expert? What are some of the things you've done around dealing with planning? Yeah. Okay. Um, look, I'm a town planner with about 25 years' experience, and I guess what I'm able to offer clients is a broad understanding of the views and requirements of a wide range of, of, of authorities, you know, whether it be sort of for infrastructure projects or for land development projects or state and regional significant projects where approvals required from the Minister for Planning, for example. Um, I've got broad experience in, in each of those levels of, of government. And so where do you mainly do with is it? Is it Melbourne? Is it Victoria? Is it Australia-wide? Yeah, I, I tend to focus in Victoria. Right. Um, I do a lot of work in regional Victoria mm-hmm. um, around um, Gippsland, Ballarat, Geelong, Bendigo. Mm-hmm. Um, also doing a lot of work in Melbourne where planning permits are required for infill development, apartments and commercial developments. Right. Um, but I've also done a little bit of work in uh, along the eastern seaboard as well. Okay. So give us an example of one of the biggest projects that you've had to get permits for. Um. One of the biggest projects I'm working on at the moment is a uh, 1,200-lot r- residential subdivision in Warrigal. Right. So I've been working on that for approximately five years. Right. Um, the development's been staged um, with a consortium of, of local landowners and developers. Um, so we've worked through the process of, of rezoning, development plans, authority negotiations, and getting the ultimate planning permits. Fantastic. So 1,200 lots, what sort of, we, is that like 100 acres, 500 acres, what sort of size all up? Would that be? Oh, we're looking at around about 120 hectares Wow. in total. That's huge. Yeah, so that's a quite a significant um, project. I've been, been involved in a lot of other projects in southeast metropolitan Melbourne um, right. in the growth corridors. Yes. But at the moment, that, that would be the biggest one that I'm right, working right. on. What about some of the smaller ones that you've done? Yeah, the smaller ones are interesting. Um, there's a good variety of projects that we get involved in. Um, one that I was working on recently was um, a lady who had purchased a property um, quite some time ago for a dream house. Um, it had a planning permit and the planning permit lapsed, so the construction of the house didn't happen within the time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, the planning controls changed. There were now heightened bushfire management regulations and then when she w- went to reapply, council refused it. So I represented her at VCAT and presented an argument to say that she'd already com- commenced the development through vegetation removal mm-hmm. and was able to breathe life into that uh, permit that did exist. So okay. her property went from being zero value <laughs> up to what it should have been to start with, and she was extremely happy that right. she could build her dream house. Yeah, yeah, mm. fantastic. That's great. All right, so let's talk about... 
What are some of the challenges when it comes to planning? I, personally, for me, I'm just like, man, mm. you deal with mm. council. Like, that's got to be interesting, to say the least. Yes, yeah. A lot of clients say that you have to be very patient to deal with the councils. It's often um, one step back, two steps forward. But as long as we're making positive ground, that's really important. Um, one, of, one of the most important things is to understand if you are approaching council or making an application, to really understand what you're asking for. Right. and what the key things that the council will be looking for as well. Um, I see a lot of people go to the councils not prepared mm-hmm. um, and then get really bewildered as to why councils say no. Yeah, It's because the right questions and the right information wasn't yeah, being yeah. provided. So, so what do you need a, a planning permit? Like what mm. would happen, and I've, I've heard of people doing like uh, patios or a bit of an mm. extension without a permit. What, what happens if you don't have the right planning permits in place? If you don't have the right planning permits in place, um, you, you often can't do the development that um, you're wanting to do. Right. Um, planning permits can be quite varied. So you could you can get a planning permit to extend a house in a bushfire area or it might be to, to do a development in a flooding area um, or just to subdivide land. But what happens if, um, I mean, I've heard stories of people doing extensions without permits and then the council has found out through like Google Maps or whatever... And then had had to like rip the back half of the house down. Did that sort of stuff happen? Yeah, non non compliances are luckily not not that uh, frequent. But mm-hmm. when they do happen, they cause a lot of grief for mm. for landowners and developers. Um, sometimes you need planning permits to use land for a certain purpose. Right. Um, planning permits will have conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be, for example, um, we've got one at the moment where a fellow is um, operating a little small quarry a sand quarry. And so there's hours of operations uh, where he can operate. If he ex- if he operates outside of those hours, you know, some of the penalties under the Planning and Environment Act can be quite substantial. Right. And and it can close down the facility. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So it's, it's really important. So it's sort of that necessary evil. We've got mm. to deal with the council. And, and, and so you've, you're talking about rezoning. Tell me a little bit ab- about zoning because, you know, land's land. You know, I grew up on a farm and so so what you're saying is if I wanted to build an extra house on it, I can't do that? No. Um, every piece of land's different. And we're quite fortunate in Victoria where we don't have a system of prescriptive planning controls, which are black and white. We've got a performance-based system. So um, applications have got a very broad um, discretion for authorities to, to use. Um, if someone owns land, and, and, and land's often the biggest asset that people will, will purchase, mm-hmm. um, and, and they often don't understand or don't realise the value that they can actually get from that by, by applying for a planning permit. And, um, you know, for example, we might take an example of a corner block in metropolitan Melbourne. Um, years gone by, people would probably look at that and say, um, yeah, we could get two lots two residential apartments, but now what's happening across Victoria and Melbourne in particular, um, people are putting in five. Right. Um, it, takes the, it takes the view of or takes the form of a, a single house mm-hmm. with basement car parking, and for all intents and purposes, it's, it's now five. Right. And, and those, a lot of those developments are happening, um, and, and we support a lot of people on that sort of, pro, those yeah. sort of projects. Yeah. And, and obviously, if you're doing that kind of development, there's a lot of money to be made in that kind of thing. Yeah, certainly. Um, 
it, it lifts the property value. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things to be mindful of is, is it in the right location? Does it fit in with the neighbourhood character? What's the ultimate, um, who's going to be the ultimate end user of a development? Right. So they're the sort of things where we think it's really important to, to always start with the end in mind yeah. when, when you are applying. Know okay. what we're actually asking for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose that brings us to um, what I really wanted to talk to you about today is you know, what are the five things that we really need to know before going out there and getting a planning permit? So, you know, obviously, and I, I know of some people who want to do do it themselves, um, but uh, so w- what do we need to know? So what would be your first tip for people if they're looking for, for a planning permit? Yeah, um, I think the first, the first, the most important thing is to really understand what you're wanting to achieve. Um, some people will approach me and say, well, what can I do? And, and I can give them a view as to what they can and can't do. But then it's always good for the, for the proponent or the applicant to sort of reflect on, well, what do they want? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes their dream might be to have quite a large house on the top of a hill, but then they're being pushed by the authorities to put something down lower. Or mm-hmm. they might have a dream to do you know, five lots and be pushed to do, to do two. Um, but with a little bit of um, creative thinking and... Um, experience and pre, you know, acknowledging precedents that have occurred in other areas and the planning controls, you can op- often maximise that, that development and that right. investment. Yep. And part of that's also going to tip into, um, I know certain councils have different, um, I won't say beliefs, but different ideas around what is, for example, heavy density, light density, medium density as well. So it's going to depend on your geographic location as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and not only does do the councils have their own view on the world, rightly or wrongly, the state government have got a very strong mandate to intensify development around particular areas as well. Right. So, um, you know, whilst most developers and landowners would prefer to get a, a planning permit straight through the council approval process, quite often... Um, Developers or landowners, applicants will will go put an application in, knowing that it's likely to go to VCAT, and then the decision can be made through VCAT based on state government policies. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So the first thing is we really need to look at what we want to achieve. Yes. What's the second thing? Um, the sec the second thing I think is really important is to make sure when you are going to the council for a pre application consultation or to find out what could can happen on your property is to be prepared. Yep. Um, if people go along there not prepared, they leave themselves vulnerable to being um, misunderstood mm-hmm. or being guided in the wrong direction. Yep. So to really understand what planning controls do exist, definitely what you can't apply for, um, what the context of the land is, what's around you, are there any foreseeable changes in the planning controls? All of those sort of things would be you know, really important to sort of be armed with yes. before you go to the council. And so that's it's nearly, you know, the, the first tip is understand what you want and the second one is preparation. So part of that is understand what you want, but understand what you can get away with. Like in terms of, you know, there's certain stuff you might want it, but the council's like, you have not got a chance in hell of putting a rocket silo in the backyard. Absolutely. That's yeah. that's correct. And really understanding, you know, what you'll be applying for. Yes. That's that's. You're absolutely right there, Warwick. We um, some of the um, some of the most interesting projects I've been involved in are, are ones where um, they've been quite large, controversial, and and in first instances you look at it and go, "There's no way known this would happen." 
Mm. Um, and then you start peeling it, peeling away the outer layers of the project, and and it's you know very rewarding once you see you can stage projects, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, if the client wants a, a a grand vision for their property, you can often do it in stages. Right. So if they're patient, and um, you do put first things first, mm. then ultimately you can work towards getting their their ultimate development. And part of that, you know, as you, you were talking about the development you're doing down on Warrigal Way that's taken four years mm. or whatever, because we are talking about a, such a large piece of land, we are talking about such a significant investment in the infrastructure that is going to have to be put in there. It really is that looking at, at having that level of patience and understanding over time, getting what you want will be worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of stakeholders involved in the approval process. Mm. Um, there's a lot of requirements, even once you've got your planning permit or once you apply for your planning permit, there's flora and fauna assessments, there's geotechnical assessments, infrastructure assessments. So bringing all that together and working your way through the process of understanding what's relevant, what's not relevant, presenting the relevant information to the right people mm. is is very much... Um, what we do and um, and really enjoy and 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 are able to add value to on projects. And I reckon that's a real key: presenting the right information to the right people. Mm. That must save a lot of pain and time and effort to be able to do that right. Absolutely, it certainly does. Yeah. All right. So, what would be your third tip for people? Um, a third tip would be really to um, to understand what you're applying for. Um, all land within Victoria has a zone, mm-hmm. with the exception of Commonwealth-owned land. Mm-hmm. And those zones generally range from being residential zones to commercial zones, industrial zones, um, rural zones as well. Um, and then complementing those zones, we have a range of overlays, um, which um, are additional controls that trigger things to be considered by the authority or by an applicant when we apply for, for, for permits. Um, and they can include heritage overlays or environmental overlays or landscape overlays, flooding overlays. So really having an understanding of what the approval triggers are and why we need to apply is really important. Otherwise, you'll be giving information to the council and spending money to provide this information for no real purpose. Right. And it might only be one or two reasons mm-hmm. that you need the permit. So we just try and focus it on those. Okay. Okay, because mm. that must be there must be so, with all the different overlays and all the different zoning, it must be incredibly confusing to understand what you want to do. And like, and I've some of my contacts have bought properties for development and found out that there's trees of significance, um, and just like it's a tree, I would just want to cut it down. And yeah, it, it just must be to get your head around that must take a lot of effort. It is, it is, and it's really sort of understanding. Um, what's relevant at what time? Yeah. Um, you know, another one which which doesn't really get affected by overlays is is Aboriginal heritage, Aboriginal cultural heritage, mm. which is actually under another piece of legislation, but it's something that needs to be considered mm. through a planning application. Mm. So, you know, if someone's rezoning their land, wanting to get it rezoned from say farming to residential. Aboriginal cultural heritage doesn't need to be considered at that stage. Right. But when they're applying to subdivide, so once the rezoning's happened and then they apply to subdivide the land, that's when you need to have ah. Aboriginal cultural heritage right. considered. So that can actually cause um, create be quite costly. Yes. And it can be um, quite a time-consuming process. So working those sort of issues through 
um, at the right time is mm. really important to make mm. sure your project continues through the mm. approval process and then you can start development as soon as possible. I would think one of the frustrations that many people would have, regardless of the size of their project, would be, but it's my land. I should be able to do what I want with it. So what would you say to people who have that kind of thought process? Yeah, I look, I could, I, I've got a lot of clients who, who have that view mm. and... Um, and we even have objectors who don't want to object to applications because they have this deep felt belief that mm. people should be able to do what they want. But once the development steps over the line of potentially impacting on someone outside of that site, yes. off-site, and it could be car parking, it could be visuals, it could be noise, it could be odour, all of those sort of overlooking or overshadowing or building bulk, then people external to the site tend to take a very strong interest. Mm. And so, you know, we're, the planning system's really trying to achieve a, a net community benefit. Mm. Rolf, it's trying to achieve social, environmental, economic benefits and facilitate construction, facilitate higher and better land uses, facilitate population growth. It's trying to manage those off-site impacts. Yep. So, you know, that's that's the system we have in Victoria and, and it's ingrained across Australia, um, we, are, we, we, we do have a lot of regulations and, mm. and working your way through those is, is really important. Yeah, but it really is, as you, you say, it's that sense of community. So it's while you might own the land, mm. we have to be considerate of the impact it's having on others within our community, both prior us, if we're looking at our Aboriginal heritage, etc., and then also looking at the things like odour, like... Um, line of sights and sh- shadows and, and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. I, I don't think I don't think developers want to leave a bad legacy yeah. behind once they've done the yeah. development has been sold off. And the other the other thing that a lot of people don't realise is that um, if a development is commenced with the end user in mind, so if you do have integrated parklands in a subdivision, you've got nice wetlands that are not attracting mosquitoes, mm. if you've got good accessibility to parklands and shops, that's only going to lift the value yeah. and the attractiveness of that subdivision. So there are a number of developers out there who really get that Yes, um, and, and they and they benefit from it. And it really is that, that bigger picture, isn't it, mm. just looking at that? Because I've been to some developments where they've obviously decided, let's make the roads as narrow as possible. Yes. And you can't park. It's you, God help you if you see someone coming the other way. Yeah. You've almost got to drive into someone's house to get around it. Absolutely. That's right. All right. So we've, we've talked about understanding what you want to achieve, preparing before you see the council, understand what you're applying for. What's your fourth tip? Yeah, the four, fourth tip is really to, um, to to know who the decision makers are. Um, in years gone by, applications would be considered by the planning, the town planner at the council. But um, within town planning these days, the, the lines between the technical application and, and politics is really blurred a lot. Right. So, you know, we do have the majority of applications get considered at council planning level, so you have to have a really good relationship or work with those those people. Um, involving local councillors is really important also for some uh, some more contentious projects or larger projects where you've got more at stake mm-hmm. um, because... Often applications, if they do generate some objections, and, and typically they do, there's all only needs to generate one or two objections mm. or concerns for it, it to take an interest. And all, all you need is the local paper to put an article about it and then bang, it's going to put a hole in, in your approach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and 
that some of those ripples, some of some of those things happen, and sort of throw people off off course. Yeah. But most of the time, you sort of ride through that, mm-hmm. and and we've had a number of projects where you ride through that sort of negative publicity in a paper. Um, you keep the politicians or the councillors involved. If it's a if it's a really big project in a municipality, you might touch base with your local MP, the mm-hmm. state MP, um, just so that if they do need to sort of be aware of what's happening, that they're they've they're informed. Yeah, yeah, mm. great. Okay, cool. So we need to understand who our decision makers are. What would be your fifth and final tip for anyone who's looking for for getting some some uh, planning done, planning permits? Yeah, I um. Surrounding yourself with good advisors is really important. A lot of people see that they can run the applications themselves and um, and and often they fall into a trap of, of those things that we mentioned earlier where um, they give too much information or they're, they're led astray or they've taken some information out of context. So really surrounding yourself with good advisors is, is exceptionally important, particularly someone who's going to lead the process. Mm-hmm. And, and town planning um, is one of those sort of industries that's sort of centred that, you know, because you need a planning permit to change your land use, to develop land or to to subdivide land, it really is the central approval. Yes. Um, without a planning permit, like I say to a lot of clients, without a planning permit, you don't have a project. Yeah. yeah unless yeah. you're just renovating a house on a single block, without a planning permit, you don't have a project. So you need to invest time and money an expertise into making sure that that's going to bring as much value as you can, and 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 the sort of things that I've mentioned about ecologists, um, engineers, um, designers, um, architects, etc. You know, there's lots of them out there, mm-hmm. and a lot of them will say that they can do a whole range of different projects. But tailoring the the specialist to the requirements of your project is something that. Um, is really important. Yeah. And it sounds like if you're going to be investing a significant amount of money into a, a, some kind of development or project, you want the right advice from the right people. And, you know, you don't go to the butcher for bread. So it's, it is about getting the right person who knows the rules and regulations and knows what's going on to really give you that assistance. Absolutely. That, that's, that's critical. Absolutely yeah. critical. Yeah. Right. All right. Um, well, that's fantastic. Like for, so for people who are looking for some development, if they have any questions for you if they need some help in getting planning permits what's the best way that they can get in touch with you yeah we've got a web page www.planningcentral or one word dot com dot au um and also my mobile which is 0407 511 616 or you could email me at glenn it's glenn with double n g l e double n at planningcentral one word dot com Fantastic. So if you're looking at uh, doing some development, you need a planning permit, regardless of size, whether it is the 150 hectares, mega site development, or maybe you're just looking at your corner block, why don't you get in touch with Glen at Planning Central and, and find out some of the pitfalls, you know, and just find out at least what you might need to know to go forward. Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. It's fantastic to hear from another entrepreneur in action. Thank you very much, Warwick. We look forward to uh, hearing you next time on the next Adventures of Entrepreneurs in Action. Thanks very much, Glenn. Thank you. You've been listening to Entrepreneurs in Action, proudly brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Alliance Inner Circle. They work with entrepreneurs to create wealth, freedom and connections. You can find out more about them at www.eaic.com. 
www.entrepreneursinaction.com.au. Well, that's it for this edition of the Entrepreneurs in Action. Thanks for joining me. I've been your host, Warwick Merry from warwickmerry.com. I look forward to joining you next time for another episode of Entrepreneurs in Action. <laughs>